You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. We were talking last night with a friend of ours and trying to figure out how to uh, tell a story this morning. You know, sometimes you have one of those stories that you're just, you want to tell and it's just too good not to share, uh, but you can't find a way to share it. Uh, so I'm just going to tell it to you this morning uh, because how many of you know that, uh, that sometimes we have uh, mishaps in our parenting? Anybody, anybody been there? The parenting's not easy, no instruction book, y'all know that. So uh, last night we went to have Mexican uh, down in uh, Miramar, and we went to the Mexican restaurant, had our dinner. It was chaos. It was a zoo as usual. That's life with uh, the Lewis family all the time. And so we are leaving, and of course, on our way out the door, uh, restaurants are really good about putting these pieces of candy by the door, right? And all the kids want them. So of course, okay, fine, you can have one piece, one piece, and we're going to leave. They all get their candy. Loading, th- loading people in the van, we get in the van, crank up the van, put the van in to drive. All of a the sudden, these s- crazy, violent gagging noises are coming from the back seat. And Andrew is choking on the mint that he has in his mouth. So, panicking, Amber flings the door open and she's going to jump out of the passenger side. Well, you know, Dad's in panic mode too. So I fling the door open and going to jump out of the driver's side. Here's the only problem. There's one small thing I forgot to do. Put it in park. And my wife is walking around the back side of the van. And the van starts to roll. And I'm standing here on the pavement going to open the door. And I realize this one thing in this moment. Lord, I am about to kill both my wife and my son because I never put this into drive. So anyway, I jump back in and get it in and Andrew's Andrew gets the mint out of his mouth and good ending ending to the story. Right. Uh, But these kinds of things happen. You know, we we just have a hard time and y'all are all going to go home and report me to the authorities. And anyway. But, you know, even as I think about that story. It drives me to the thought that's right here in this passage that we think about when we come to parenting all the time. Aren't you glad that despite all of our weaknesses and failures as parents and as people, that we have a God who is sovereign and seated on his throne and that he is the one who cares for his people? Aren't you glad of that this morning? That even before we were ever born, that He knew us and formed us in our mother's womb. And what an incredible passage that is. It's so encouraging, especially for expecting parents or, or new parents and even seasoned parents or parents who struggle with where, where their kids are or what they're doing in life or the choices that they've made or the place that they find themselves in. It's such an encouraging thing to know that we have a God who is sovereign and seated on His throne and He has not lost any control at all. But David is not talking about his children. 
And I want you to be very careful to notice that in the passage and and zoom out with me, if you will, from those few verses right in the middle of the passage, verses 13 through 16. You you formed my inward parts. You knit me together. Zoom out with me, if you will, and see that David is not describing his children. He's not encouraging himself over things that are true about his children, although they are. David is actually finding encouragement in the sovereign rule and reign of God over his own life. It is God who formed him. He's not describing himself as a child. He's actually stating a truth about himself as an adult. And I want you to notice that the description there in the womb is just one illustration of a few that David mentions in the passage. And all of those illustrations are intended to point out one primary truth found in verse 1 in the passage. A bigger point. And I want you to highlight this, underline this in your Bibles. If you take notes in your Bible or write this verse down, Psalm 139 and verse 1, really think about what's being said here. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. When he thinks about his relationship with God, he recognizes that in the past, in a completed way, already done, that God has in the fullest sense already searched out David, All that he is, all that he thinks about, all that he feels, everything he could ever do, every mistake he's ever made, every success he's ever had, that God has already searched and known everything about David. And it strikes us this morning with an incredible and powerful truth about our own lives. You are fully known by God. Everything about you. There is no part of your life. I mean, really get your heart and mind around this this morning. There is no part of your life that God does not already know. Your person, your identity, who you are, your personality, your character, the things that are good about you, the things that are bad about you. Every thought that you have ever had or will ever have. The things that you are thinking right now. The words that will come out of your mouth. And by the way, even before they ever come out. The desires of your heart. Your struggles. Your pain. The things that you live with every day. The regrets of your life. All of your doubts about God or His care in your life. All of your fears, your past, your present, and your future, you are fully known by God. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And David goes on. Even as you keep reading, there's an overwhelming sense in which he sees this tension between the great grandeur of a holy God who is sovereign and reigning over all things. And yet it is as as, as, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden when they walked with the Lord that they sensed that this sovereign creator, David senses the same thing. 
is walking with him every day and right beside him. You see it? He says, you know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways. And then he draws the tension. See, verse six, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And yet the passage that we were reading just a second ago, verses 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you. Even before I was born, God intimately knew me. Big, sovereign, reigning king. And yet, faithful, near Savior. David feels the tension. And he can make the claims that he makes about life. You say, how could David say these things with all that he went through? David can make these claims about life for at least two reasons. Number one, he believes in God's sovereignty universally. If you're going to believe this morning that you're fully known by God, you cannot know that or believe that unless you really believe that God is sovereign over all things. That He is Lord who made both heaven and earth. If you don't believe that, you've missed the whole starting ground. We've got to see God in His glory and in His holiness and in His, in His untouchability because He is far above us, far, far higher than we could ever imagine. He is universally sovereign from the very moment that, that we breathe our first breath in the morning to the very moment that our head hits the pillow at night, our God is ruling and reigning. I heard the illustration this week mentioned that if you were to be able to zoom in, if you had a picture and you were able to zoom in on this picture or rather zoom out on this picture, some maybe maybe it's a, a family sitting and eating a picnic in a park and you're able to zoom out in that picture. You could you could keep zooming out and farther and further until you saw the whole county. And then you could zoom out until you saw the whole state and and you could see the, the whole globe and then eventually the whole universe and earth would just be a small speck. And in that place where you zoom out, God is sovereign in all of those places universally. And then what if you could come back down to that picture and you could zoom in really close on that family, maybe even just one small speck on the blanket that they're sitting on and could go infinitesimally small and you would see the molecular level of that blanket and realize that God is also sovereign there. It's not a place that God is not sovereign. Well, this is, of course, in the psalm throughout. He would not have said that made the claims that he did, but it's echoed throughout Scripture. Hebrews four and verse 12. Listen to this. You know, this this passage. Listen to the words for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. Watch this now. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How is it able to do that? Verse 13 that we don't normally tack on. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Job, same picture. For his eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all his steps. Proverbs 5 verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. Our God is universally sovereign. There is nothing that God does not know. 
This is what theologians call God's omniscience. He knows all things. And yet it is not just the material, even as we've described it. He knows all things material and immaterial. God knows all things fully. So you must first believe that he is sovereign. And secondly, David believes not only that he's sovereign, David feels God's sovereignty personally. He feels God's sovereignty personally. You cannot believe that God knows you and not take what is cosmic and grand and bring it to a personal level. I want to tell you this morning, just as a side note, I feel impressed to say that there are a lot of people here in the Bible Belt who know about God, the cosmic God of the universe, this one who is distant and big and glorious. One of the things that we struggle with in the Bible Belt, though, is to know that that God is actually personal, that he is our Lord and our master. He is the one that guides our life and that expects our obedience and that sent his son to die for us on the cross. This relationship with God is not just cosmic, it is personal. There is no question about the personal nature of this psalm. It's as if you can feel God as He speaks, isn't it? You can sense the footsteps of God in the psalm, the fingerprints of God on David in the psalm. You can almost, it's almost as if. He really believes God is there and they're speaking as a man speaks to a friend. It's a personal kind of relationship, one that we should all long for. And by the way, I believe that we all deep inside long for and we can only know through a relationship with Jesus Christ. R.C. Sproul said that the greatest thing in all of human existence is to be known by God. And so you must believe it universally and feel it personally. So what does it look like in our lives? What does it look like for God to be in control? Well, there are or to know us rather. There are at least five things in the passage. We're going to just breeze through this quickly this morning because I want to get I want you to get a flavor of it. But you ought to dive into this deeply this morning. There are five things that David shows us that God does when it comes to knowing us. The first thing is that God sees you. God sees you wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God sees you. Sometimes it's helpful to think about these truths dimensionally, right? So this is the present reality of God's knowing you. He knows you right now. He sees you right now. That's what David says in the passage. He says, you've searched me and known me. But then he transitions to kind of a present tense in verse two. He says, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. So what are the things that he mentions here? Well, he knows and sees your patterns. He sees your patterns of living when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. God sees all of these things. He knows the kinds of ways that you live, the direction you take to work, the amount of time it takes for you to get there, how many hairs are on your head while you're driving. I mean, this is an amazing God who knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. So whatever you're thinking about, some of you are thinking about, man, I cannot wait till he's done so I can get some lunch. Right. But this is, you know, he knows your thoughts. 
He knows what you're thinking every day. And half the time, those are not places that we would want anybody else to see, but God sees them. He knows your choices in life. You know, when I rise up or when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Everything you do, God knows. Everything. He knows your choices. He knows your words. He sees them. He sees them even before you speak them. The words that are on your lips, whether they're going to honor Him or not, He knows those words. And He knows not only the words, but the intent of your heart. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all together. Then he uses this curious phrase, and it's interesting. He says, you hem me in. <laughs> interesting language. Behind and before. It's warlike language, like military terms. You, you hem me in. Anybody ever, been, anybody ever felt trapped or been trapped? Right? Hem me in. Before and, and, and on the back. It's military. It's the idea of an ambush or being surrounded by an army. You don't have anywhere to go. So in the same sense, we are surrounded by the Lord. He sees us from all sides, behind and before, or behind and before us. He is God. Spurgeon described this passage in this way. We cannot turn back and so escape him, for he is behind. We cannot go forward and outmarch him, for he is before. He not only beholds us, he besets us. And lest there should seem any chance of escape, or lest we should imagine that the surrounding presence is yet a distant one, it is added, and laid thine hand upon me. The prisoner marches along, the surround, along surrounded by a guard and gripped by an officer. God is very near. We are holy in his power from that power, there is no escape. And so David is overwhelmed by this thought. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me to comprehend, too high for me to attain it. And so he sees you. It's the present dimension of what is told to us. But then he turns in verse 7 and he asks a question. He, it's rhetorical, it's not intended for us to answer, but to really just simply know the answer to. He says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Presence being the key word. In other words, he is here. So the second thing we ought to understand is that God is with us. God is with you. He is with you. If you're thinking on those dimensions again, this is the future expression of who God is. The, the question is not just intended to talk about all of these spaces. Notice he, he speaks of these things in extremes, doesn't he? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, it's the Hebrew word for death, also used for hell, the lowest parts. If I, make my, if I go to heaven, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I... Uh, take flight, wings of the morning, kind of earthly expression here, or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. I could dive down to the lowest parts of the sea, and God, you're still going to be there. It's not just talking about His presence. It's His, it's His possible presence. Anywhere I could go, I could not escape God. He is with me. He knows me. Do you remember the story of Jonah? I mean, let's go back to our childhood for a moment. 
Jonah could not escape the Lord in the bottom of a fish at the bottom of the probably the Sea of Galilee at the time. He could not leave, could not get away from the Lord. Certainly we cannot get away from the Lord. God is with us. And so what does that look like? Well, certainly his presence, as we have already mentioned, God is with us. And this is what David is describing. But it's not just his presence. It's also his provision. He says, even there, your hand shall lead me. Remember, David was a shepherd. And so it was the leading of a shepherd, the provision of God as our shepherd. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We trust in his leadership, his provision and his protection. David says, your right hand shall hold me. The right hand in the culture being a symbol of strength. Aren't you glad this morning that we have a God who is with us and in knowing us, he will never let us ultimately fall away, those that are his. And that good news this morning, he protects us. He protects us. And so then we have another illustration, one more extreme. He says, even though the darkness shall cover me. Anybody ever been there? You feel like there's nowhere to turn. It's nothing but dark all around you. It's all nothing but night. I love this. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The darkness has no power over our God. And so He is with us. Third, God created you. God created you. We're not going to belabor this because you are well familiar with it, but there is a sense of past knowledge here. We've got present, future, and past knowledge here where our God formed us. And I love this. He says, you formed my inward parts. So He formed our life. He formed our life. You formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works My soul knows it very well. Even our frame, our skeleton, everything that makes up our lives. He made us in secret, but it did not begin there. And unless we think that's where life began for us. No, life began far before that. Because he planned our days. Go on reading with me. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed before or formed for me, when as yet there were there was none of them. That's when the planning for my life began. It's far before God ever created anything. Love Isaiah forty six when God is challenging Babylon on their idolatry and their serving of a false God, and he describes himself as the one who declares the end from the beginning. And when it came from when it comes to your life, you're living out a life that God declared the end from the beginning. That's how his sovereignty works. He is the one who planned your days. So there is a past, present and future knowledge, but that's not it. Because if that were it, that doesn't bring this this universally sovereign God down to this personal level with us. Except to maybe create our lives and to set it into motion. 
And yet he doesn't end there. Notice verse 17. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. And he says, I awake and I am still with you. It's relational. And so it leads us to understand that God loves you. God loves you. So it's not just a past, present, and future knowledge. It is actually a relational knowledge where God, the creator of the universe, has decided to know you. And it's interesting, this is where he draws this hard contrast, and it almost sounds out of place in Psalm 139. Like, why, David, would you start talking about the wicked? Is that some kind of prideful move on David's part? I don't think so. I think David understands that there is a great contrast. There are some ways in which God knows all people. And yet there is one way that God knows some people. Are you hearing me this morning? Some of us this morning are known by God in a way that when we wake up in the morning, God's still with us every day. And it's different than the wicked, the ones who are the enemies of God. It's, it's different than that. It's a close personal knowledge of who God is and love for God. There's a new passage, a New Testament passage that I think sheds some light on what David is trying to get at here. It's 1 Corinthians 8. I want to just read it to you this morning. Three verses here. It's Paul describing another idolatry situation like that of Babylon that I just mentioned a moment ago. And he says, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Kind of a description of knowing there. This knowledge puffs up. So I don't think it's David being prideful. That kind of knowledge puffs up. He says, but love builds up. Verse 2, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Notice this last verse. But if anyone loves God, before I finish it, if anyone loves God, notice what David writes about God's thoughts. How precious are your thoughts to me. I love them. (laughs) Verse 3, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Relational knowledge. David has a relationship with the Lord. It's a, it's a knowing that's different than the wicked. It's a knowing that's a special, unique, personal kind of knowing of David. You say, well, how do I know that kind of God? Let's look at this last one and then we'll look at that together. This is so important. Finally, we see in verses 23 and 24, this final picture. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And this is why I don't think David is prideful. He knows that there's some things in him that are not right. And yet it is God who restores him. Aren't you thankful this morning that that as as a Christian, as someone who's been born again as a child of God, that God knows what's in you and He doesn't like it, but He doesn't leave you there, that He actually restores you. 
Psalm 23 says he restores our soul. And what David is saying here is, God, I want you to search me. Look inside me. Know who I am. Find those things. And God is faithful to reveal our sin. He reveals our sin. He searches us out. But the Bible says that He leads us to repentance. Search me and know if there's any wicked way. Then He talks about purifying Him. Leading Him in the way of the way everlasting. Following after what is true and right and godly. How is it that He restores our soul is the question. How is it that we come to the place that we have a relationship with the Lord in which He knows us not just in a past, present, and future way, but in a personal, relational kind of way and in a purposeful way where He's constantly restoring us day by day into the image that He created us to be. The only way that that happens in our life is that we come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me this morning. No one comes to God apart from His Son. No one can be known by God personally in that relationship kind of way apart from coming through Jesus Christ by faith. You will not come to God by your works because you're not in control of the universe. You will not come to God by your works because when you know that God knows you, and let's be honest this morning, the thought that God knows me as a sinner scares me to death. He knows my every thought, every, every act of disobedience, every foolish thought, all of the carelessness of my heart. God knows that. And yet, in His Son Jesus... He not only forgives me of all that He knows about me, but He restores me again and again into the image of His Son who I was created to be like, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is the Gospel. You say, how does that happen in a person's life? I would turn the question to you. And this is where we will close. How is it that you respond to the God who knows you? How is it that you are to respond to the God that absolutely, fully knows you? I would say three things to you this morning. Number one, trust Him. Trust Him. And I'm not talking about the Sunday school answer kind of trust Him. I'm talking about really, really trust Him. You have no control anyway. So trust Him to be provider, protector, that His presence is with you, that He loves you, that He knows you inside and out, and that He has your best interest at heart. Even when it doesn't look good, He is still good. Trust Him. Secondly, not only should we trust Him, but we should be truthful with Him. One of the least practiced spiritual disciplines in the Christian's life is confession. And some of you had sinful thoughts this week. If you're human, you probably did. Some of you had sinful thoughts yesterday. Some of you had sinful actions maybe all week long. 
Some of you this morning, maybe even as you walked into church. You see, we need the Lord to search us and to know us. And I don't know about you, but in my life, I'm totally good with that. In fact, I rejoice in that. Because I know my sins are forgiven. And that He who died for me is faithful and just to forgive me my sin if I'll just confess it to Him. And He will restore my heart and my life and my soul and all that has been broken. And one day in eternity there will be no more sin. And I'm trusting in that, y'all. And so I want God to show me, show me where I don't look like you and change me. We ought to have that kind of attitude and heart toward our, our sin. So trust Him and be truthful with Him. Finally, turn to Him. I don't know why you came this morning. Maybe you came for baby dedication. Maybe you came to support your kids or your grandkids. It's a good thing. I'm glad you did that. But I think that God has you here for an entirely different reason. Because God wants you to hear from Him this morning. From His Word to your heart. And in a size, a crowd this size, no doubt. Maybe there's someone here who really doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've been depending on your good works or whatever else you can do good to go to heaven. And apart from His grace and your confession of faith in Christ, none of those things are worth anything before the Lord. But the Bible says that today all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's really just that simple. Share one more thing with you before we close. We were talking this morning. Every morning before we worship, we gather together and we pray together as a worship team. We pray for our service and ask God to move. And one of the things that was mentioned this morning is one of our kids, our ladies who prayed before we prayed, our ladies' ministry prays together, and one of our children, our little girls, led us in prayer. And it's an illustration of the simple faith that Christ calls upon us to have. Not simplistic in its meaning, but simplicity in its obedience. Just simply trust Him. So if you trust in Him, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we want to invite you to do that today. In just a few moments, we're going to have some music that's playing. Just some music that would remind us of the truths that we have read and heard this morning. And it is a call to us from God Almighty to respond in faith to what we've heard. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're in the place in your life you've not been trusting, your faith has been waning, I want to encourage you to come to this altar to bow before the sovereign God of the universe and to say to Him today in a fresh way, I trust you, God. I trust you. And where I don't trust you, help me to trust you more. Maybe some of you in this room, you would say, I, I, I just need to be truthful with the Lord. There's things in my life that do not please Him. He's convicted me of those things and today I need to come and confess those things. I want to encourage you to come. You don't need me. You simply need this altar and being before the Lord. You confess those things to Him and God, the Bible says that God is faithful. He will forgive you. Today you will con- confess and repent from your sin. 
Maybe someone in this room needs to trust in Jesus and just trust him for the very first time. So in just a few moments, if that's you, I want to invite you to step out of the place where you'll be standing and walk down this aisle and say, Pastor, today, today I want to trust Jesus. That's all you got to say, and I'll help you with the rest. So all across the room, let me invite you to stand as the music begins to play this morning. And I pray and our invitation begins. Lord, have your way in this place. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and soft. And God, that you would lead us to repentance and faith this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning even as the music begins to play. Some are here praying. You come this morning. This altar is open. Did you sing that? How great. God, you are a great God. You are one who is worthy of all of our praise. God, you're worthy of our lives. We are sinners. God, without you acting for us, God, we would be lost and hopeless. But because of the gospel, Lord, you gave the life of your son for us and we praise you today. 
that we can be known by you and that we can know you as our God. I pray this morning that if someone here has never trusted in you by faith, that today they would trust in Christ. Sometime today, Lord, maybe it's not in these very moments, but God, when they cry out to you, Lord, I pray that you would grant repentance and faith. I I pray, Lord, that you would go with us now as we leave, that you would help us to be Uh, salt and light in the world. I pray that as we come back tonight in our connect groups at five o'clock, God, that you would be honored in that as we uh, share with one another what God is doing in our lives. And we pray all of these things in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.